Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. That's where we were last week. That's where we are again this week. This is part two of the power of the negative mind. We started out with the power of the positive mind and described certain benefits that come to people that have a positive mind. Now, when I speak of a positive mind, I'm thinking about in a relationship with God as a Christian, the positive mind is in harmony with God. It is living, adjusting to God's way. Whatever the Lord says, you're making that decision to see things that way and live that way. In agreement with God, in other words. On his terms, positive. And the benefits are wonderful. And then we looked at the opposite of that, the dangers or the power, the danger that's in the power of a negative mind. And the world is full of it. You're around it all the time, all day long. It's a prevailing spirit in this world. It's negative. It is anti-something most all the time. Now, in verse 33, either make the tree good and his fruit good or make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Then he says, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, that is an eternal truth. That will never change. That applies to everybody and anybody. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, when it's deceit, you may say the right thing, but you really don't believe it. But you say it because people want you to say it. But you don't really mean it. So you're really not really positive even while you're saying that, even though you're agreeing with it, because inwardly you really don't believe that. But when you really do, when really what comes out of your heart is a confirmation of God's word which you have hidden in your heart. He said you have something that goes like this, verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. And then the conclusion in verse 37 is, for by your words... And this also is a, is a truth. For by your words you shall be justified, made right with God, or by your words you shall be condemned. All on the basis of words which he said come from the heart. Now, negative is defined. I think we defined it last week. Is negative mean in this sermon, negative towards God. It's not really so much negative about God. You believe he exists. You believe he is and that all that is true about God and the Lord and all that. But you're not sure that what he said he really will do. Or if he really will do it, you're not sure he'll do it for you. So there's a negativity about what he has said as to whether or not you can depend on it or count on it. Because there's a lot of things the Bible says that a lot of people can quote but really don't believe. They don't really count on that to work for them. They pride themselves in being able to memorize that and put three or four verses with it and memorize more. But as far as a pattern in their life, it doesn't work like that. It's just something academic and not real. Verse 37, by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. The word condemn means to recognize the evidence against and to give judgment. God sees our hearts. There's nobody in here that God doesn't look at your heart. We're told in the Psalms that God knows the motivation of our heart and the intents of our heart. What motivates us, whether to say things or do things? God knows. Even before we speak a word, he knows why we're going to say it, whether out of sincerity and honesty or out of convenience. But God knows. Because there's nothing he doesn't know. And we're all measured like that. By what's in our heart. For out of the abundance of the heart. Not only does the mouth speak. But as a man is in his heart. So is a man. 
So that's why he said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart proceed the issues of life. I can't put enough emphasis on that, but that's not what this message is about. But a negative mind, a negative mind is a destructive thing because it it never fully concurs or agrees with what God said. It always seems to want to back off a little bit. A person just becomes unwilling to go that far or to do that or trust God that much or they're unfavorable towards God or maybe critical about his word. They may say, well, yeah, the Bible says that, but don't you think that that was for that time and in those days they could do it that way and that would, but that won't apply today. See, that's negative because that's not in agreement or a harmony with the Lord. I think the church is full of it. I do. Full of negativity. They have a convenient way of explaining away the truth that sets a man free. And so they're never free because of this negative spirit that's in the world that gets into the church. You ponder things and then you reach an agreement against it. Say, well, I don't, I don't know if that'll work or not. I mean, I've, I know the Bible says it. I, I mean, I agree with Bible saying it, but I, I'm just not, uh, I'm just not sure I'm that willing to go that far because what if it doesn't work? And see, this is the church is full of it. It's a negative influence, whether we got it from our friends growing up, from our intelligent teachers or professors if you went to college, or whether you got it from your parents or whether you were trained that way in a church. I mean, we've been taught to put a question mark where God puts a period. God said, this is the way you walk in. And we say, well, I don't know if a man can really do that. Sermon on the Mount. Lots of people don't want the Sermon on the Mount to be applicable for today, for our lives. And so with intelligent and academic approach to it, they begin to explain things away. Well, that was for another era, maybe the millennium. And during that time and so forth, when there is a perfection amongst men, then there will be some that can live that way. And so we don't have to bother ourselves with whether or not we're doing what it says. Somebody's talked us out of it because whoever talks us out of anything that God says is a negative person. And if they can influence you, you'll pick up the same spirit that they had, and you'll be as negative as they are. You'll put that into your children. You'll pass it on. And if you're a preacher, you'll give it to your church. And we'll sit back most all of our lives and wonder why, though we read these wonderful promises, we'll wonder why they never work. God intended for them to work, didn't he? God has never spoken an aimless word. God doesn't speak idle words like he spoke of there in, in verse 36. He doesn't speak idle words. God said the word that he sends that goes forth will accomplish that which he pleases, and it will prosper the thing whereto he sent it. If he sent it to do something, God said it will do it. Now, if you don't want to receive it, if it's too much or too hard or somebody says that's over your head, then it won't work. Because the one thing that will keep the word of God from working is faith. And we said the last time that, that one of the great effects, the dangers, the fatalness of a negative mind is doubt and unbelief. It is a natural consequence of being negative. It's natural. Doubt is simply drawing back from the positive statements that God makes and you become unsure, uncertain, and then unwilling and unfavorable, disagreeable with what God said. You'll hear what he said, but in your mind you say, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think I'm going to go that far. And then you tell people that because it comes out of your mouth. It's in your heart. And you say, well, I don't know. You know, I know God meant that and what he said, but I don't know if that's what he meant today. Turn to Numbers quickly and Psalm 78. Numbers 13 and Psalm 78. If you'll find both of those, we can flip back and forth and just quickly point out something that I mentioned last week. Numbers 14 and verse 24. You remember the story? God had told his people to go over into Canaan's fair and happy land that we sing about. 
Check it out. See if it's not a land flowing with milk and honey and rich in abundance and all that. See if what I told you about the land isn't true. And they went in and they found all the grapes and the pomegranates and all the wonderful fruit. They brought back evidence of it. And they also said, well, it's true. It's true, brothers and sisters. These ten spies said, it's true that what God said about the land, that it's it's rich in abundance. Boy, it is really, I mean, it's a lush place. But God didn't tell us. And what we found out is we cannot conquer the land. Now, he said we could. He said, I'll give you the land every place the sole of your foot steps. But what did the people say? Yes, he said that, but we can't do that. Why can't we do that? Because we view ourselves not as God shows us things, but we view ourselves as natural people. We're like grasshoppers looking up at giants. God looks at giants as like they're grasshoppers. And he said, you can do whatever I tell you that you can do. And the people said, no, we can't. We can't do it. We can't conquer these people. Everybody saw the grapes and said, oh, man, let's let's go. And they said, no, wait a minute. Well, that's a fierce land. There are people over there that you talk about a warring people. We were scared all the time we were in there. Oh, this is a dangerous looking place. And the Bible said the hearts of the people melted just like they do today because it was a negative report. It was not a report that was in agreement with God. It had obstacles. It had problems just like your life does. Just like our way through life, there's obstacles and promises. We preach all this, and then people say, well, uh, yeah, it's easy for you to say that, but look at all. There's problems out there waiting for all of us. Most of them look unsolvable. Most of them look like giants. And while we would love to conquer those problems, we don't see yet, we editorially, for a lot of people, They don't see yet how what God said can work in this case. This is over our heads. God can't do this. Or if he could, I'm not sure he will. I don't think I'm good enough for one reason. And so consequently, God's people draw back, listen, in unbelief because of an evil heart. Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4 addresses an evil heart of unbelief as the reason why these people did not make it into the promised land. Didn't God promise it? Didn't they go see it, that it was what he said it was? Then why didn't they get it? He said they could have it. They didn't get it. Why? Because of unbelief. He says, beware lest, Hebrews, he said, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Because that's where unbelief begins. It begins in the heart with a decision that in light of what God says, I do not see myself able to do that. Therefore, I should not do that. And you draw back. And we're warned about drawing back. Let me tell you all something. This Christian life is not a drifting walk through the pansies and roses. It's a life that costs us everything. We're challenged all the time because life is full of problems. Oh, sure, the Bible says in the world you'll have tribulation, that there is a real devil that stalks you, that tries to overtake you and overwhelm you, of course. But when you begin to encounter him, he's no longer just words on a page. This is real. This hurts. I'm broke. My kids are here. My husband, my wife, our... And suddenly the problems that we're told we're going to face confront us. And whoa, whoa. And the easiest thing that most people do at this time is doubt. Because the devil is a master at making you question what you really believe. Oh, sure, the Lord said. Didn't the Lord, didn't you all hear this teaching the other day about that whatever you desire, the Lord? But yeah, well, it, obviously it doesn't work, does it? So somebody has misled you or deceived you. Somebody has told you wrong. Because here you are facing a a real life-threatening situation, and where's God? Where's the evidence of all of this power? And the easiest thing to do is say, well, I don't guess he's going to. I don't guess it works. 
That makes you negative. Maybe honestly negative, but it's negative and it's evil because you're no longer in agreement with God. You go where God's people go, you sing his songs and all that, but in your heart, there's a departure. There's a drawing back. Not that you're a bad person because we want to believe, but this is a tough life. It's not a simple matter just, eh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, we can do it. Sometimes you've got to sit down and fight and count the cost. Didn't Jesus warn us about that? If you're going to go face an enemy and he looks pretty, pretty big, before you just jump out there without regard, you better sit down and count the cost. Because if you engage him, you've got to stay with it. Because if you cut and run, then you, you'll have to fight him again. And it's harder the second time than it was the first time. Be careful who talks to you and what people say or what you listen to on your radio and all the conversations you have about what we can't do and this politicians are crook and that'll never work and I can't believe this and yeah, 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 and I, yeah. Rule that stuff out of your life because there's a spirit, a real spirit that's behind all of that and its desire is for you. That's what it does. It seeks somebody where it can inhabit and send its voice to the mind say, it won't work. You'll be a fool. You'll lose your job. What would people think? My parents are crazy. All these kind of things, so you won't do it. But go to church. Have that. Just don't do it. Well, anyway, back to Numbers. Back to Numbers chapter 14. He said in verse 24 about all these that were clamoring. He said to them, verse 23, he said, they shall not see the land. All these negative, all of them. Let me throw this out. Were the Jews God's chosen people? Would you call them elect? Well, there's a whole bunch of these elect that didn't make it. You read that in Romans. But anyway, I just throw that out for your interest. Verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him. And that spirit caused him to follow me fully. Now him will I bring into the land, and his seed will possess it. Did you all read that? Did you hear what that said? But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, He'll get the land. He and his kids, they'll go in the land. All of you that are murmuring and clamoring, that were smarter than him, more gifted than him, you won't make it. Because while you have the majority of people against it, he was different. He said, I don't, I don't buy into that. Remember what Caleb did? He stilled the people and said, hey, we are more than conquered. We can take this land. Come on. They wanted to stone him. Just like today with the church, if you get too far away from deadness, they'll want to stone you too. They think, well, they'll call you a cult because you deviated from whatever everybody else is doing. But look at verse 27. This is what God said. Uh-oh. How long? This is what God said. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? which murmurs against me. That's where murmuring comes from. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur three times, folks, against me. Say to them, as truly as I live, as the Lord spoken, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Then the Bible say, by your words you shall be made right with God, and by your words what? You shall be judged as guilty. And God said to these people, oh, we, we should have stayed in Egypt. Oh, we're going to die out here now. God didn't say you were going to die out here. God is leading you through this terrible wilderness with signs and wonders that will astound the world forever. No miracle ever has happened like that since. And you're clamoring and murmuring against God who is making you to have Water from rocks and food from nowhere. And you're clamoring about the uncertain future because you're convinced yourself you can't do what God said you can do. 
as surely as you have said and spoken, it'll happen to you. And a whole bunch of people's bones somewhere in that desert today are bleached, dried out, or gone away. Look in Psalm 78, accounting, referring to this same time, verse 19. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock, and waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? They questioned God. He said he would take care of them, but they questioned that. My God shall supply most of your needs, all of your needs. And people today question that. They act like it won't work. They plan on something else because they're not convinced that God will supply my needs. I want my needs supplied now. I'm going to get my needs supplied right now. I'm not waiting any longer. I'm not going to do without. I'm going to get it while I can. Now, would you call that negative? Or are you guilty? Say amen or owe me. I'm talking about what's going on now today in the world. All these wonderful promises that God made, we don't want to wait because our friends didn't wait. Our neighbors didn't wait. We want to be like them. So we clamor and murmur. Well, the preacher said, no, God will take care. I'm going to write him a note. You think that's negative? Listen, there's a lot of danger in negativity. We have to fight it all the time. I fight it. I know you do. There's a lot of danger in just being negative people. Talking against something. Whether it's politics, Democrats, Republicans, terrorists. It seems like we're always just clamoring about something. And yet, the Word of God says, let your speech be with grace. Seasoned with salt. To encourage people who listen to you. And so we, we try to do that. You know, I think, praise God, that they ought to shoot these politicians. Don't you all praise the Lord? Amen. <laughs> well, you would see through that in a moment. But if we were sitting around a coffee shop talking like that, that's just what the gobs do. The gobs, good old boys, they just sit around and talk like that because that's what we've always done. Our minds are geared that way. Now, here we are coming to the Lord, and he begins to attack all of that kind of thinking. And we say, well, who's paying that preacher's bills talking to us like that? Who's he think he is? So the preacher said, you keep your money, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. So the next thing you know, your mind starts hooking up a little bit. You realize your mind has to be what? We do because it's been corrupt. And by corrupt, I mean your mind has been negative all your life. We were trained to be negative. We were good. We were masters of negativity. That is, disagreeing with God. What the Bible said didn't mean much at all. What really counts is what our opinions are. And if we don't agree with the way God said it, we said it pretty good, and I think that's pretty good. That's why the world thinks that it's going to heaven because it's not bad enough to go to hell. They don't see themselves as deserving of a bad place. They haven't done bad stuff all their life. But they don't know what to do when you say to people who think they're going to heaven because they're good. Then what was the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth? You don't need Jesus. You just need to be good. And good is defined not by God, but by you. And the next thing you know, you do things your way and as you please. And there is a way that seems right unto man, but it's a way of death because God judges it because what is not of God is evil or wicked. And we would never attach those two words to our best religious efforts. What we believe, for example, if it's not what God said, it comes from a heart, an evil heart of unbelief. We don't want to say that. We don't want anybody to say that to us, especially in church. 
but it's the truth. And the truth will lead you to recovery by application of the truth, and that truth will make you free. So see, the danger here, as you see in Psalm 78, 19, they spoke against God. And in verse 21, he was angry, wroth. He was angry. I know you're thinking right now, and you're because you're all listening. Why was God angry with his people? Verse 22. Why was he angry? Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation, his saving ways. They did not rely on that. They did not count on what he said to be their provision for this life. Nope. And God was angry. These are the people that he specially chose. Particular people. A people that were not a people. A people that were in a nation, Egypt. And as I just read this week in reading Exodus, a nation that God literally destroyed. I don't think it's ever to this day recovered from the ten plagues. I don't think it's recovered. Those ten plagues devastated that country. And God did that to bring his people, a nation, out and made a people out of them. And they proved to be difficult people. God is marvelous in what he does and the way he does it. But the fact of the matter is, I don't care who you are or what group you're with or who you're following. If you're not careful, the devil will cause you to stand against God, to be adverse to God, to say things differently than what God says. And you'll find yourself being negative because of a heart that's being altered. Boy, I tell you what, when the Bible said put a watch to your mouth, remember that? Set a watch before your mouth that you sin not against God. My mouth has been running since I was born. I think it quietens down at night when I sleep. I'm not sure I don't talk in my sleep. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is not say anything. I've been on a thousand trips in my life, and everybody wants to talk to you. They sometimes used to gather around just to hear you tell stories and talk about the Bible. And there's no time to shut up. Just had to talk all the time for years, 40 years. Just keep talking, yak, 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 yak. And I don't know how many times I, my tongue has gotten my life in a lot of trouble. I don't know how many times I, my tongue turned into a rope, had a noose on it. And that thing slipped over my neck and I'd find myself hanging. What's going on, Lord? It's your mouth. It's your mouth. By your words, you're justified. By your words, you condemn. We don't have the courage sometimes to disagree with people, so we agree with them. Well, I think, i tell you what, our president, blah, blah. And I say, well, I think you're right. And the Bible said, you know, you're not supposed to speak evil of the ruler of your people. You let God take care of that. Your life is about his kingdom, not about this world. Well, it's hard to get away from it because everybody talks about the world. Nobody wants to talk about your God. Unless it's your little crowd right here. I've said this before. I've said everything I say at least a dozen times. My friends, my true friends in this life right now are people here. Because I can talk to you all about what, what we believe. And if you don't believe it's right, then I can really dig in. You know, I have friends in the world. I don't mean my other preacher friends, Brother Guthrie, and I don't I'm talking about that, but I have friends around town that I know and talk to and chat with, but my true friends, the people that I can really be who I am with and not be concerned about getting stabbed in the back, are people here. This is my whole reason for getting up in the morning and living a week. Whole purpose in being on this earth is what I'm doing right now. The whole purpose. My reason for being born in 1939, November 30th, and being brought to this time in my life through lots and lots of close calls is to do what I'm doing right now. That's it. Now, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to change it. I certainly don't want to back away from it. 
If I lose friends because I want to be, be right, tell them I said hello wherever you go. But I want to get it right. Because I want to find myself at the end of my life. I want you to find yourself at the end of your life. Or I want us to find ourselves when Jesus comes to be right with him. Thinking like him, let his mind be in us, believing his way, thinking, agreeing with, and talking about him. If any man speaks not according to this word, they have no light. And if they have a form of godliness, and they talk about all the right things, but they deny the power of it, denying is negative, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't do that today. That's, that's not for today. Get away. The influence is like a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. You've got to withdraw yourself from that. Separation. It's a Christian truth. But not many people will heed it because they think that, oh, I can handle this. And you really can't. I hope one of these days soon that there will be a spiritual explosion in our hearts and in our midst. That when we come together, it'll just be the most exciting time of the week for all of us. When God begins to unload and do things and reveal things and show things in preparation for the Lord's coming. Would that be good? It really would be. Again, just remembering Psalm 78 and verse 22. The reason God was angry with his people was because of unbelief. Unbelief is a negative thing. Now, we ended here last week. It took that long. Follow me to 1 John chapter 5 so we can finish today. 1 John chapter 5. Here's another effect of unbelief. I don't know anybody, I know nobody who would want to agree with this, that, they, that it would be us, that this would apply to any of us. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God has a witness in himself. Your faith on the inside of you as a Christian is like a little voice. It brings you peace about what you say and what you believe. That's your witness. This is your knower. I know what I know what I know. He said he that believes on the Son of God has a witness in himself. Notice, he that believeth not the Son of God has done what? He speaks about making God a liar two or three times in this book, but he says here, he that believeth not the record that God gave of his Son has made God a liar. He that believeth, believe means to be firmly persuaded, I'm convinced. I know what's in my heart. I'm counting on it. He that believeth not, just the opposite of that, he said has made God in his life, in his pattern of life, has made God a liar. God said, I will supply all your needs. I will bless you going in, bless you going out. And yet we say with our mouth, well, I don't know what we're going to do now. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, this is not a Bible thing right, right now. This is a survival thing. What are we going to do? Well, what did God say? I don't know what God said. I'm not really interested right now. Are you going to tell me that God said he will do something and you turn around and deny him doing it because you don't believe he'll do what he said? Are you saying God's a liar, that he lied to you? Wait a minute now. The Bible says God is not a man. That he should lie. If he said it, he'll do it. If he's spoken, he'll make it good. When he tells us what he wants to do and we say, well, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. Are you saying God has lied by your choices and your actions? That you are saying that God lied? That you can't trust him to do what he said? I think that's pretty bad sin, wouldn't you? Nobody. Malachi's day. God said, you despise me. They said, whoa. I added the whoa. They said, when do we ever despise you? You're our God. 
He says, what you're doing, offering those kind of sacrifices, the way you're living with each other and treating each other bad, leaving your wives, all those things that you're doing is in denial of what I told you not to do. You're doing it anyway because you're convinced it's good enough. He said, why do you hate me? They said, we don't hate you. Yes, you do. You're calling me a liar. (laughs) Nobody in the church today would ever say, I've called God a liar. Do you trust him? Well, I don't know about all that now. Are you saying he won't do what he said? Are you saying that he has and he could, but he might not, like they did in Psalm 78, 19 and 20? Are you saying that? Well, he could, but he might not. Well, I know he can, but I don't know that he will for me. Are you saying he's a liar? He said, I will. Oh, surely, God, we're not living like the one we're worshiping we are referring to. As a liar, the negative mind says, well, what if, what if this healing thing doesn't work? I mean, they've seen it not work for so many years with so many people. It's ingrained in you that it might not work. Because that's what we've seen and that's the reasoning way the mind works. Well, I know somebody that said they were going to believe God for this, and that didn't work, and then that one didn't work, and this one left that one, and this one ran off from that one, and then this kid and that kid and all these prayers, none of them. How do I know it'll work for me? I know he could, but I'm not sure that he will. Oh, I don't want that blame on me. I'd rather stuff my mouth full of old rags and put duct tape around my face so I could barely breathe than to bring an accusation against God that he will not do what he said. And what I'm saying, what I just said, is not easy. Because the people, by their choices, are saying, I choose to question God's honesty and integrity about what he said. I'm not going to do what he said because I'm not convinced that he will do it. And you know that's true. All of you do. We all want the benefits of all this. We're just not sure that he will do what he said. And consequently, that's that's what happens. What does the church believe today? Does the church believe in the virgin birth? You do. What if I told you they're 10 to 1 that doesn't? The virgin birth? A sinless life in a wicked world? Or how about miracles? Working miracles. You ever seen one? No. Well, then that means there aren't any. Well, if I haven't seen one, there aren't any. People think like that. How about the resurrection of Christ from the dead? A dead man coming back to life without benefit of instruments, tubes and stuff. How about a man that dies, been dead three days, and then is raised up again? How do you explain that? And then appear to lots of people to verify his life. Appeared in a room. Had a divine and heavenly body which could eat food. Where did it go? I don't know. Could appear and disappear. Could change his face so that he didn't look like who he was. And then when they did see him, there he was. Or else he changed their eyes from being able to see who he was. How many people believe that? Here's a classic. I don't think it's so important that we believe that. What is important is that we believe that there was a wonderful miracle took place of some sort that brought this all about. And the miracle being that they probably revived him some way and kept him alive or whatever. I have, in the course of all these years, had a chance to read what a lot of heady people have said about the resurrection, the virgin birth, the inerrancy of Scripture, you know, every word is true. I've heard what they say against that, or even about his coming back to earth again. Not many people believe that. And they have these elegant explanations as to why the Bible doesn't mean what it plainly says. And there's a category of people who will believe that because of the caliber of person who said that. Well, I can't speak for you. I'm glad I have a simple mind. I like it just A, B, C, D, E. I like the simple biblical truth. 
and what it actually does on the inside in making you have a better outlook about life. And you can have all that heady stuff. I like the simplicity of the gospel and how it affects people of little note to become the kind of people that God is preparing a place for. Just tell me what the Bible says and we'll do it. Second thing, not only is it danger of a negative mind, doubt and unbelief, but it's also a cause and a reason for illness, sickness. In my trusty Internet capabilities, my ability to punch the right keys quickly enough, I submit to you this. The health benefits of positive thinking. Now, that has nothing to do with God, but just man's way of thinking of good things that he would like to have and then just dwelling on it. Researchers continue to explore the effects of positive thinking and optimism on health, health benefits that positive thinking may provide. It includes these things, an increased lifespan, lower rates of depression, lower levels of distress, greater resistance to the common cold, better, whoa, get this one, better psychological and physical well-being, reduced risk of death from cardiovascular disease, better coping skills during hardships and times of stress. Now, it is unclear why people who engage in positive thinking experience these health benefits. I could tell you why. Because if you're thinking on things that are positive, you're not dwelling on something negative. The, the results can only be good in some degree. Now, I did do some more research, but I didn't get a lot out of it about sickness. But there are a lot of sites you can find out about how negative thinking affects your body. Some say it produces ulcers because of worry or stress or anxiety. There's anxiety attacks because anxiety is a being overwhelmed with the uncertainty of what's going to happen or what to do in a situation. And it affects your body. Let me give you a, a non-professional version. Don't believe what I'm about to say. Don't, I mean, don't even take this note. Just sort of feel sorry for me for a minute. I believe that your body, fearfully and wonderfully made, has a way of coping with things and really standing up strong. Your body has a system. There are enzymes and there are hormones produced by various parts of your body, your endocrine system, and they all affect the way your body functions. When you eat food, there are, there's a release. Your body sends a signal to release certain enzymes into your stomach to break down the various things, break down protein and break down this and begin to break down food so that it can sufficiently take care of your body. It sends it through your bloodstream to all parts of your body. Now, I believe when you worry and you stress, I believe there is an overload of something in your body that doesn't need to be there. Don't write this down. This would get me an F in school. Maybe you get a bad phone call before dinner or you have an argument before dinner and you get an upset stomach and sometimes you try to eat and it makes it worse. I think there are chemicals and things in your body that adversely affect the way your body functions. And if you stay in an adverse state of mind, like with worry and stress and uncertainty, a lack of peace and rest in your life, I think your body has a hard time dealing with things. And then you start taking pills, certain sorts of compounds to offset the effects of over-acidic stomachs and, and digestive problems or other problems. And then the next thing you know, you got to take another pill to offset the side effects of that pill because your body fights that too. Well, we take an aspirin every day. You know, an aspirin every day, oh, it'll keep you from dying and having a heart attack. But it'll also mess up things in your stomach. You can't have them both. 
What I'm saying is that then there is a person who has settled his heart and mind, has come to the place where what God says about his body, the temple that he made that he lives in, the body you're responsible for, he'll take care of it. And you cast all your worry and anxiety and stress and uncertainty over on God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And you lay all of your burden down at his feet. And your stomach goes, And any time you don't know what to do, you just cast all your care on the Lord and your body has a thing called serenity and peace. Of course, there's a problem out there. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's real. Yes, it hurts. But God has a solution for it. And when you don't take that solution and there's a negativity that comes up in trying to deal with it, it begins to bring things like depression, oppression. You really don't know what to do. God told you what to do. I know, I know, I know. But I, this negative condition I'm finding myself in, I just don't know that he'll do it. And then you begin to be bound like I was growing up with a sickness mentality. I expected to be sick. We buy sick stuff, insurance and pills on sale because we expect. That's where our faith is in the need for that stuff. I'm going to need it, therefore I better get it. We're trained like that. And the idea that a preacher would say, you don't have to have all of that. God said his word is medicine to your flesh. Proverbs 4, it's medicine to your flesh. Well, in my situation, my condition is that you deal with God. This is between you and Him. Let Him show you what you need to see, the way you need to see it, until that releases you from this other stuff. You can't act like somebody else acts. Your walk is personal. I've seen people throw glasses away, throw their pills away with whatever they needed. Some of them, one or two of them almost died. One guy at a big camp meeting years ago in Georgia, Tennessee, Georgia camp. What a wonderful, I wish we still had those. But anyway, he got up on the stage and threw his glasses away and this guy couldn't see. I think two days later, he was up there trying to find those glasses because he realized that while he had heard the right thing, he hadn't wrestled with this. He hadn't dealt with this long. I remember when I saw him throw those glasses away, I thought, I really hope, I really hope you know what you're doing. Because if you are, it'll work. But if you're doing this for a show to get the applause of, of us, you're going to regret doing that. Throwing away your pills or anything else. I don't say throw away anything. You can't just read the Bible and then, then jump out of that. But I used to have all those pills. We had them in our family. When I heard about this, it was a big enough deal to me that, you know, when I heard somebody say, God didn't make us to be sick. Sickness is a part of the world and its way. The atonement delivers us from our pains and our diseases. How long would it take that to get in my heart? I don't know, but it's got to get in my heart. You've got it in your heart, but I can't do it because you did it. I've got to do it because it's in my heart to do it. It doesn't work because I imitate you. It works because I believe God. So you begin to deal with it. You wrestle with it. You open your Bible up, turn the TV off, turn whatever, turn, tell your neighbors to go home, and begin to do research. Research. And begin to take the footnotes and the center column and trace it down and, and put it together. Write it down. Let God show you that from Exodus to Deuteronomy to the Psalms and Proverbs and Matthew and 1 Peter and James 5, how all of these are promises for healing. And then pray God give the revelation of that to my heart so that I no longer have to wonder about it, but I'm convinced about it, fully persuaded. Make that me to know that. And when he does... Like with us, I remember Bonnie did it because she was the first one to get it. Came home from the meeting, fully convinced. 
start pouring out in the sink all those antihistamines. I think that David had to take in those days, or maybe I did. I did too, but just poured them all out. Got rid of all the stuff down the drain. We're free. Now, we didn't tell a lot of people about that at first because most people would never, ever do that. And you know that's true. Never. Ever. Never because of fear of what if I need it. I'm not settled yet and peaceful about letting God do this. What if, you know, what if it comes back? This is a life where you have to sit down and you say, I'm with you, Lord. If I go to my coffin trusting you like this, I am willing to trust you. And people think you're a little bit weird, but isn't that what the book says? God hadn't lied to us. That's what he said he would do. But that doesn't mean you believe it because it says it. You've got to deal with it. Only by revelation does God show you these things to your heart. Your head can memorize it, but that doesn't mean your heart embraces it. But when it gets in your heart, it is what it said it was. Not everybody that heard the word believed it. Second Chronicles, back in the Old Testament where the pages are somewhat clean. Second Chronicles, chapter 16. Let me show you what happens and how this negative progression takes place. Verse 7 and 8. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. Asa, the prophet said, Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a large host with very many chariots and horsemen? You fought them. Listen, yet because you did rely on the Lord, he delivered you from those people. In verse 10, because the prophet questioned the king. Because the preacher questioned many in the congregation. We say it that way. Here's what happens. Then the king Asa, he was wroth. He was angry. Was he told the truth? And Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in prison house. For he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Is that negative? Was God in any of these decisions? No. He had been because in a battle he fought before, he faced a million soldiers. And because he prayed, they won. And here comes this little situation. He said, why are you trusting in the king of Syria? Why are you relying on him for help? Your help doesn't come from Syrians. That's not who you turn to, Asa. You just fought this great army, the other a million soldiers, and God gave you the victory over them. And Asa said, put him in prison. He was told the truth. Now, we got a problem here, and here's what happens when you turn like that. Verse 12, And Asa, in the thirty and ninth year of his reign, was diseased in his feet, until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the two years later, in the 40th year of his reign. What is the Lord saying to us about that? Does your mental game have, a, have anything to do with your physical game? It surely does. It surely does. Think about it. Thirdly, thirdly, what a negative mind does, not only does it bring doubt and unbelief, not only does it bring illness, but it brings and makes of you to have a fruitless character. We become little more than members of some brand or name church. We're Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Church of God, Church of Christ, Episcopalian, Luther, Catholic, and whatever else I can't think of. We're just members of good standing, Christian Church, Church of Christ. We go to some particular place that is of our liking, and we learn its ways, we learn its systems, we do what it says. 
But because of our negativity, where we started this whole message, because of our negativity towards God, very little of what God wants is seen. And consequently, the fruit that is born in our life is not always the the fruits of the Spirit, but they are other things that evidence themselves in our life. And when the truth comes up, we find ourselves scoffing, being critical. You think it's possible that a congregation of people could hear the absolute truth and criticize it? This whole message is about this. Why would anybody, why would any loving person, caring religious person ever criticize truth? Why? Because the Bible has, I've already said, has a lot to say about people who criticize the truth. Maybe in a very loving way, say, well, I don't know if I agree with that or not. That's just his opinion. Well, what's yours? Well, my religion is private. Well, that's convenient. Jesus happened to be pretty public with his. But anyway, anyway, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 23 through 26, the Bible tells us that the servant of the Lord must not strive. Striving kills our character. All of you have known, all of you maybe in your past have known of people who are hard to get along with, negative people, difficult people. Uh, You had to be careful what you say around them or they repeat a matter and get you in trouble. They're backbiters or tail bearers. They have little, if any, true Christian fruit. The very things that we're taught not to do, they do it anyway because that's the negative way they think in their mind. I know I shouldn't do this but I'll do it. We do it all the time. Now listen to this. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but you ever heard that? Have you ever done it? I know we're not supposed to talk like this, but let me tell you something. Or I know I'm not supposed to say this, but let me tell you something, but don't you tell anybody as though you won't. And then we tell something and violate the very thing we heard Sunday morning. Just the very opposite. Just it took three days. Or two days or one day. That's how easy it is for us to go against God's grain or to be negative. But he said, I didn't write this. He said this. He said, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they gender strife. And those who fight and strive are carnal. They're not spiritual. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but must be gentle to all men, apt to teach and patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves or who are in opposition. If God perhaps will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. It happens all the time in the church. That's why we have to guard our lives and our words and our actions. I'm going to be a tree with good fruit like we started out saying. And the things that I determined to do, the choices that I determined to make, have to be in agreement with God. Any other fruit is wrong. I can't strive. We're not here to argue. We're not here to fuss and fight and fume. If you don't agree with something, go talk to the person that said it. You might be right. If they have a right spirit, they'll repent or they'll turn around and see it your way. I've lived most of in my ministerial life, especially a few years ago, several years back. Our little kingdom was a war zone. It was somebody was always fighting somebody. I'm not so sure God didn't one day say that is enough. And look what happened in the last 10 years. 20 years. There's not much left. The people that believe like you are a memory, history. Who? You believe what? When? Oh, I don't, no, I don't, remember, I don't know anything about that. We have no testimony, no fruit. I hope we do here. I hope that we do. I hope that we do. Fourthly and finally, if you turn to John 5 and verse 40. I trust you can handle this. The negative mind will disqualify you from eternal life. 
you're not going to face God as his adversary in this world. Do you think Pharisees were saved? They were very religious, very particular about their religion. You think they were saved? I don't. Jesus accused him. He said, when you make a proselyte, he is twice as much a child of hell as you are, a convert. Jesus had little time for those kind of people. There comes a time in people's lives where they cross the line. There's a time that God gives you up. Now, he's long-suffering, much more so than we are or I am. But there comes a time a person just totally, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go that way. No. They get tired of it. Don't want to hear it no more. Walk away from it. Here's what he said. John 5 and verse 40. And you will not come to me that you might have life. I said, well, what does that have to do with being disqualified? He said, you will not come to me. Let me give you another translation. But you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. Here's another translation. And though it is those very scriptures that bear testimony to me, you refuse to come to me to have life. So the word will not means you are unwilling. That's why people will perish. You can set aside predestination, election, and all of that. It comes right down to this. There are those who are willing. Have they been made willing? Obviously. Then there are those who are unwilling. Nice, good, kind, loving, fun people. But when it comes down to being governed and ruled by God, it's not there. So we conclude with this. We conclude with this. Truly, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. You are the kind of person this morning that you are in your heart with regard to God. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we're glad to be here. We're glad to have another provided opportunity. You have given us a place to meet. You've given us time to meet. We are free from the world's need that we can meet. We are free. We thank you, Lord, that we have this freedom in our country. That we have no threats against our life because we're Christian. May we in Jesus' name take advantage of our opportunity to become like Christ, to be doers of his word, accept his will, and do it. Father, I stand before your people, whether by the electronic methods and means, before those that hear my voice now. These are your people. You brought them here. I didn't. You've marked us to be your people. You brought us here. You give us your word. You anoint us to hear and to speak. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we will have the courage today to take advantage of what you say and at least dwell on it, to ponder it, to meditate fully about it, to put nothing in this world to be more important than this word. Lord, I pray that Christ will find his home in us, that he will be reproduced in us so that we are reproductions of the original. That as he overcame the world, so shall we. That we shall be more than conquerors through Christ. I pray for the needs this morning in this place. I pray, first of all, for the physical needs of people who are sitting here today, people who are listening. I pray that the power of the word which you sent to accomplish that healing 
May this day begin its effective work in everybody in this room and those that believe. That we might all be set free and experience what we've heard. I ask you to do that. Continue to lead us and love us. In Jesus' name, amen.